Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kehud Malkuto Le'olam Va'ed Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of His kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Monday, June 20th. It is prophesied in the book of Amos that in the last days there would be a famine in the land. Not a famine for food, but a famine for the word of God, as it is written in Amos 8, 11, and 12. Behold, the days come, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. Even in the days of Joseph there were seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. He had stored up grain for the seven years of famine. The Daily Audio Torah is your storehouse where you can get grain. It is twenty minutes every day of pure scripture flowing out, living manna to feed your spirit. Are you being blessed by this ministry? Please consider supporting Daily Audio Torah. You can make a one-time or a recurring donation by going to dailyaudiotorah.com and then click on the Give pick on the navigation menu. You can then make a secure online donation there. Thank you for your prayers, and thank you for your support. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week we are reading from the New Living Translation for the Hebrew Scriptures and for the Brit Hadashah. Today we continue the Torah portion, Shalak Leka, and it means, Send for Yourself. Numbers 13, 16-33 These are the names of the men Moses sent out to explore the land. Moses called Hosea, son of Nun, by the name of Joshua. Moses gave these men instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. Go north through the Negev into the hill country. See what the land is like and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls, or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Do your best to bring back samples of the crops you see. It happened to be the season for harvesting the first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob near Lebo Hamath. Going north, they passed through the Negev and arrived at Hebron, where Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai, all descendants of Anak, lived. The ancient town of Hebron was founded seven years before the Egyptian city of Zoan. When they came to the valley of Eshkol, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes so large that it took two of them to carry it on a pole between them. They also brought back samples of the pomegranates and figs. 
That place was called the Valley of Eshkol, which means cluster, because of the cluster of grapes the Israelite men cut there. After exploring the land for forty days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit that they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we travel through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought, too. First Kings 22, 1-53 For three years there was no war between Aram and Israel. Then, during the third year, King Jehoshaphat of Judah went to visit King Ahab of Israel. During the visit, the king of Israel said to his officials, Do you realize that the town of Ramoth-Gilead belongs to us? And yet we've done nothing to recapture it from the king of Aram. Then he turned to Jehoshaphat and asked, Will you join me in battle to recover Ramoth-Gilead? Jehoshaphat replied to the king of Israel, Why, of course, you and I are as one. My troops are your troops, and my horses are your horses. Then Jehoshaphat added, But first let's find out what the Lord says. So the king of Israel summoned the prophets, about four hundred of them, and asked them, Should I go to war against Ramoth-Gilead, or should I hold back? They all replied, Yes, go right ahead. The Lord will give the king victory. But Jehoshaphat asked, Is there not also a prophet of the Lord here? We should ask him the same question. The king of Israel replied to Jehoshaphat, There is one more man who could consult the Lord for us, but I hate him. He never prophesies anything but trouble for me. His name is Micaiah, son of Imlah. Jehoshaphat replied, That's not the way a king should talk. Let's hear what he has to say. So the king of Israel called one of his officials and said, Quick, bring Micaiah, son of Imlah. King Ahab of Israel and King Jehoshaphat of Judah dressed in their royal robes and were sitting on thrones at the threshing floor near the gate of Samaria. All of Ahab's prophets were prophesying there in front of them. One of them, Zedekiah, son of Kenah, made some iron horns and proclaimed, This is what the Lord says, With these horns you will gore the Arameans to death. All the other prophets agreed. Yes, they said, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead and be victorious, for the Lord will give the king victory. Meanwhile, the messenger who went to get Micaiah said to him, Look, 
All the prophets are promising victory for the king. Be sure that you agree with them and promise success. But Micaiah replied, As surely as the Lord lives, I will say only what the Lord tells me to say. When Micaiah arrived before the king, Ahab asked him, Micaiah, should we go to war against Ramoth-Gilead, or should we hold back? Micaiah replied sarcastically, Yes, go up and be victorious, for the Lord will give the king victory. But the king replied sharply, How many times must I demand that you speak only the truth to me when you speak for the Lord? Then Micaiah told him in a vision, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, Their master has been killed. Send them home in peace. Didn't I tell you, the king of Israel exclaimed to Jehoshaphat, He never prophesies anything but trouble for me. Then Micaiah continued, Listen to what the Lord says. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the armies of heaven around him, on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, Who can entice Ahab to go into battle against Ramoth-Gilead, so he can be killed? There were many suggestions, and finally a spirit approached the Lord and said, I can do it. How will you do this? the Lord asked. And the Spirit replied, I will go out and inspire all of Ahab's prophets to speak lies. You will succeed, said the Lord. Go ahead and do it. So you see, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouths of all your prophets, for the Lord has pronounced your doom. Then Zedekiah, son of Canana, walked up to Micaiah and slapped him across the face. Since when did the Spirit of the Lord leave me to speak to you, he demanded. And Micaiah replied, You will find out soon enough when you are trying to hide in some secret room. Arrest him, the king of Israel ordered. Take him back to Ammon, of the city, and to my son Joash. Give them this order from the king. Put this man in prison and feed him nothing but bread and water until I return safely from the battle. But Micaiah replied, If you return safely, it will mean that the Lord has not spoken through me. Then he added to those around, standing around, Everyone mark my words. So King Ahab of Israel and King Jehoshaphat of Judah led their armies against Ramoth-Gilead. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, As we go into battle, I will disguise myself so no one will recognize me. But you wear your royal robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself, and they went into battle. Meanwhile the king of Aram had issued these orders to his thirty-two chariot commanders. Attack only the king of Israel. Don't bother with anyone else. So when the Aramean chariot commanders saw Jehoshaphat in his royal robes, they went after him. There is the king of Israel, they shouted. But when Jehoshaphat called out, the chariot commanders realized he was not the king of Israel, and they stopped chasing him. An Aramean soldier, however, randomly shot an arrow at the Israelite troops and hit the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. Turn the horses and get me out of here, Ahab groaned to the driver of his chariot. I'm badly wounded. The battle raged all that day, and the king remained propped up in his chariot facing the Arameans. The blood from his wound ran down to the floor of his chariot, and as evening arrived he died. Just as the sun was setting, the cry ran through his troops, We're done for. Run for your lives. So the king died, and his body was taken to Samaria and buried there. 
Then his chariot was washed beside the pool of Samaria, and the dogs came and licked his blood at the place where the prostitutes bathed, just as the Lord had promised. The rest of the events in Ahab's reign and everything he did, including the story of the ivory palace and the towns he built, are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Israel. So Ahab died, and his son Ahaziah became the next king. Jehoshaphat, son of Asa, began to rule over Judah in the fourth year of King Ahab's reign in Israel. Jehoshaphat was thirty-five years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem twenty-five years. His mother was Azubah, the daughter of Shili. Jehoshaphat was a good king, following the example of his father Asa. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. During his reign, however, he failed to remove all the pagan shrines, and the people still offered sacrifices and burned incense there. Jehoshaphat also made peace with the king of Israel. The rest of the events in Jehoshaphat's reign, the extent of his power, and the wars he waged are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Judah. He banished from the land the rest of the male and female shrine prostitutes who still continued their practices from the days of his father Asa. There was no king in Edom at that time, only a deputy. Jehoshaphat also built a fleet of trading ships to sail to Ophir for gold. But the ships never set sail, for they met with disaster in their home port of Ezion-Geber. At one time Ahaziah son of Ahab had proposed to Jehoshaphat, Let my men sail with your men in the ships. But Jehoshaphat refused the request. When Jehoshaphat died, he was buried with his ancestors in the city of David. Then his son Jehoram became the next king. Ahaziah son of Ahab began to rule over Israel in the seventeenth year of King Jehoshaphat's reign in Judah. He reigned in Samaria two years. But he did what was evil in the Lord's sight, following the example of his father and mother, and the example of Jeroboam son of Nebat, who had led Israel to sin. He served Baal and worshipped him, and provoked the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, just as his father had done. Acts 13, 16-41 So Paul stood, lifted his hand to quiet them, those in the synagogue, and started speaking. Men of Israel, he said, you and you God-fearing Gentiles, listen to me. The God of this nation of Israel chose our ancestors and made them multiply and grow strong during their stay in Egypt. Then, with a powerful arm, he led them out of their slavery. He put up with them through forty years of wandering in the wilderness. Then he destroyed seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to Israel as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After that, God gave them judges to rule until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people begged for a king, and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, who reigned for forty years. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And it is one of King David's descendants, Yeshua, who is God's promised Savior of Israel. 
Before he came, John the Baptist preached that all the people of Israel needed to repent of their sins and turn to God and be baptized. As John was finishing his ministry, he asked, Do you think I am the Messiah? No, I am not, but he is coming soon, and I am not even worthy to be his slave and untie the sandals on his feet. Brothers, you sons of Abraham, and also you God-fearing Gentiles, this message of salvation has been sent to us. The people in Jerusalem and their leaders did not recognize Yeshua as the one the prophets had spoken about. Instead, they condemned him, and in doing this they fulfilled the prophets' words that are read every Sabbath. They found no legal reason to execute him, but they asked Pilate to have him killed anyway. When they had done all that the prophecies said about him, they took him down from the cross and placed him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and over a period of many days he appeared to those who have gone with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to the people of Israel. And now we are here to bring you this good news. The promise was made to our ancestors, and God has now fulfilled it for us their descendants, by raising Yeshua. This is what the second psalm says about Yeshua. You are my son, today I have become your father. For God has promised to raise him from the dead, not leaving him to rot in the grave. He said, I will give you the sacred blessings that I promised to David. Another psalm explains it more fully. You will not allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. This is not a reference to David, for after David had gone the will of God in his own generation, he died and was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. No, it was a reference to someone else, someone whom God raised and whose body did not decay. Brothers, listen. We are here to proclaim that through this man, Yeshua, there is forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is made right in God's sight, something the law of Moses could never do. Be careful. Don't let the prophet's words apply to you. For they said, Look, you mockers, be amazed and die, for I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. Psalm 138, 1-8 I give you thanks, O Lord, with all my heart. I will sing your praises before the gods. I bow before your holy temple as I worship. I praise your name for your unfailing love and faithfulness, for your promises are backed by all the honor of your name. As soon as I pray, you answer me. You encourage me by giving me strength. Every king in all the earth will thank you, Lord, for all of them will hear your words. Yes, they will sing about the Lord's ways, for the glory of the Lord is very great. Though the Lord is great, he cares for the humble, but he keeps his distance from the proud. Though I am surrounded by troubles, you will protect me from the anger of my enemies. You reach out your hand, and the power of your right hand saves me. The Lord will work out his plans for my life, for your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. Don't abandon me, for you made me. Proverbs 17, 17 and 18 A friend is always loyal, and a brother is born to help in time of need. It's poor judgment to guarantee another person's debt or put up security 
for a friend. I'd like to speak to you today from our Torah portion from Numbers chapter 13, verses 16 to 33. And in this section, this passage from Numbers 13, we see the ten spies returning with a negative report. And because of their negative report, the people lose heart. And their words, the words of these ten spies, we can't go up against them. The people are stronger than we are. They will devour us. And we are as grasshoppers in their eyes. That spread like a virus, a spirit of fear, doubt, and unbelief. And the people lose heart and they want to turn around and go right back to Egypt. The only two spies who gave a good report were Joshua and Caleb. But the ten spies spread a negative report and disheartened the people. This was huge. They were not trusting God. God had promised them, I'm going to go with you and I'm going to give you this land. And so instead of believing in God's promise and trusting him, they all walked in fear, doubt, and unbelief. Now, this report happened on a certain particular day. It wasn't just any random day. This negative report was given on the 9th of Av. And it was this negative report that started a whole pattern of very negative things, dark, bad things that would happen to the Jewish people on the 9th of Av. And it started with this first initiating incident. And so on the 9th of Av, lots and lots of, it's, it's a terrible, dark, black day in Jewish history. And so on the 9th of Av, we have the 10 spies that gave the negative report. And because of that, they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, and they did not get to go into the promised land. Their children did. And on the 9th of Av, on 586 BC, the first temple was destroyed by the Babylonians. On the 9th of Av in 70 AD, the second temple was destroyed by the Roman general Titus and the Romans. And that second temple, that temple has never, ever been rebuilt in Jerusalem. On the 9th of Av in 1290, the Jews were expelled from England. On the 9th of Av in 1492, the Jews were expelled from Spain. On the 9th of Av, July 23, 1942, the Treblinka extermination camp became operational and between 800,000 and 900,000 Jews were murdered there. On the 9th of Av, Himmler, August 2, 1941, Himmler received approval from the Nazi party for the final solution of the Jews. And on the 9th of Av, August the 14th, 2005, there was a forced evacuation of Jews from the Gaza Strip. And then they moved it up by one day to the 10th of Av because they recognized and realized, oops, the 9th of Av is a bad day. Let's do it on the 10th of Av instead. 
So we have a lot of bad things that have happened on the ninth of Av. Yet the scriptures foretell us that there's a day coming when instead of this day being a day of sorrow and grief and sadness and bad things happening, it's going to be, instead of it being a cursed day or a day of judgment, it'll become a day of blessing. And in Zechariah chapter 8, starting in verse 19, it is written, Zechariah chapter 8, verse 19, thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth shall be joy and gladness and cheerful feasts for the house of Judah, that is the Jews. Therefore, love truth and peace. Thus says the Lord of hosts, People shall yet come, inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us continue to go and pray before the Lord, and seek the Lord of hosts. I myself will go also. Yes, many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem, and to pray before the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from every language of the nations shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. So what this is saying is that these fast days will become feast days. And on the ninth of Av, it is a fast day. That's The Jewish people do not eat any food or, or drink, and they mourn, and they wail, and it's a day of sorrow, and a day of prayer, and a day of repentance. And Christians are beginning to join with the Jewish people to observe this day, and to focus on repenting for the sins of our church forefathers. You can learn more about this if you go to the website, uh, the number 9-av.com. The website is the number 9-av.com, the nation's ninth of Av, and it's a call to fast and pray on the ninth of Av along with the Jewish people and for us to repent of the sins of our church forefathers, the many sins and atrocities that have been committed against the Jewish people done in the name of Christ. And I'm thinking of the Inquisition, the Crusades, the Holocaust, and the pogroms, and the, um, you know, the expulsions, the expulsions over the decades and over the centuries. Again, learn more about that from going to the website, the number 9-av.com. And I believe this year they are planning to actually go to Jerusalem um, for the 9th of Av to have a, uh, a time to pray and to repent, and then there will be some touring of Israel afterwards. It's a very powerful time and a very life-changing time. I highly recommend it. I was involved with this group, with making this happen, the planning of it, um, for several years. Okay, that's all I have for today, and have a blessed day, and we'll see you tomorrow. Shalom. Adonai, 
Blessing from Numbers chapter 6, 24 to 26. Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. <laughs>